Tonight it's my ambition, uh, this is of course a little out of the ordinary, as you're aware of because, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, because we are now going through a list of 17 things, which is a little out of the ordinary in this. We have for the last two weeks set ground on the area of spiritual gifts. It is imperative to kind of have that context before we just jump right in. One of the reasons is, is because otherwise it's sort of like handing a bunch of people power tools without any concept of what they're supposed to be doing. And what you find is, if you're, in, if you're anything like me, being a boy by nature, if I don't have a purpose, it'll probably turn into a weapon. That's just naturally the way it goes. That's why we don't hand kids things like drills and power saws, because children lose limbs and lives from that. What's interesting is, is that God has the greatest power tools in his shed that he wants to give to every one of us in whatever concoction or recipe for each of us. And yet if we don't really have a purpose behind it, we'll find ourselves doing the same. Chances are we'll either try to do it for our own personal validation or what we'll do is we'll turn and we'll fire at each other in some ridiculous manner. Now, I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer, but let me just say even before we even jump in, please Never just believe anything I say. The Bible is your authority. Get into that book and test everything by the tried and true and perfect weight that it is. I'm going to be using the scripture for all of the things I'm going to be pulling out tonight. And so I challenge you to hold me accountable to that. Because it's important for you that you don't just... I mean, if the enemy were to come flying in your face, don't say, Pastor Tony says. It's not going to bear a lot of weight. You'd be better just saying scripture says. Jesus said it. It worked for him. If it was good enough for him, it should be good enough for you. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. And then we're going to jump right into sort of encapsulating into where we go and then why in the world we're going through this list. Lord, I just want to thank you so much. (coughs) In the midst of um, weakened state, Lord, I just want to thank you for the blessing of the company of my brothers and sisters here tonight. What an absolute gift that we get to assemble in this warm room, a dry room, Lord, and um, the biggest threat we have in this room, to be honest, is the, uh, the cobweb stalag- stalactites that hang from the ceiling. But Lord, we really, we're, just, we're no great threat here. There's no militant army that's waiting to bust down the doors because of our faith. There's none of that. Really, we're just in a room here, but the danger is greater in the sense that we could be so comfortable that we could forget just wearing the jersey and getting the place is opposed to infer that we're supposed to go out and take the field. And so we could sit here in the locker room preparing ourselves to watch the next game versus to be in it. But don't allow that to happen to each of us tonight. Lord, you know exactly where every one of us are. You know what it is we lay on the line and we let people know that we're dealing with and you know those things that we hide that we're dealing with. Lord, you know those things that we would call victories that really aren't. And you know which things, Lord, really are victories that we could often forget. And tonight, Lord, I know, as you know, every molecule that makes up every body in this room, you know every thought from afar to its very end to the intent of that thought, to the condition of the heart and the spirit before the thought was ever intended. Then meet us, Lord, where we need tonight. Slap us on the surgeon's table, Lord, and do whatever surgery is necessary. As your word is active and sharper than a double-edged sword, then you can cut. 
So cut, Lord, into and through all of this stuff, Lord, the, the weeds that have grown. The stuff, Lord, that weighs upon us and makes us more complacent and lethargic. God, and tonight, may we have so much fun learning in your word. But may we hear your voice, Lord. And I know, Lord, that it's just this natural propensity to think that if we hear your voice, you're just going to simply tell us everything that's wrong with us. But Lord, show us the loving Father that you are that speaks words of love and quiets us with that love, speaks words of life, of encouragement, and that we could hear your voice ministering and calling us by name tonight. As we seek, Lord, now to, to, to step into this arena, Lord, please minister in it, I pray. And may every one of us, Lord, be brought face to face with you tonight. If there be any who have really yet to say yes to the gift of Jesus Christ on the cross, let tonight be the night they say yes. If there's anyone, Lord, who's been, who said yes, but has been living kind of a maybe life, Lord, let it be a yes out the door tonight. And for those of us who have said yes, Lord, and are living the yes life, may we be further equipped to take the field, Lord, as we leave this locker room at the end of the time, as we commit this all to you now in Jesus' name. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Immerse me that you would be seen and do through me what I cannot humanly do. Perform perfect therapy upon each of us as you desire. Have your way tonight. Redeem every second, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now listen. The third week in three. If you jumped in tonight, there you go. Don't worry. It isn't like you'll be absolutely lost any more than anyone else would be. We're looking at this aspect, and the reason we've approached this subject is because as we go verse by verse, we've found ourselves in Romans 12 where it lists a handful of particular spiritual gifts. We will address that in a little bit more detail specifically next week, or actually two weeks from now. Next week, you'll have the blessing of Jeffrey. I'm very excited to see what comes of that. But we can't just address spiritual gifts without first addressing the person behind those gifts. So two weeks ago, we addressed who the Holy Spirit was and what he does. And in the simplest sense, the Holy Spirit's job, his ministry, is to draw you close to God. Everything he does is with that mindset. He may speak, he may reveal, he may teach, he may remind, he may convict. But everything he does is to bring you closer to God. Now, I love that. This is one of the reasons I think the enemy has really spent so much time really misdefining who the Holy Spirit is. So on one side, people view him like an it, so they just want, it's sort of like this is, you know, taking something and plugging it into 240, where it was once on batteries, and so now this thing is supercharged. It's like, you know, like the Holy Spirit's the nitro you pop in your engine now, and you can hyperdrive. Or on the other side of it, we don't want anything to do with him, because he's scary and it's spooky, and I don't want to cluck like a chicken. Somewhere in between those two is, and you can see how both can be really dangerous. The Holy Spirit's a person with a personality, that can be grieved. Now it's important to note, there's a lot of things you can do to a person, but you can't grieve them unless they care. You can irritate me, you can bother me, you can frustrate me, but you can only grieve me if I love you. That's just the way it works. And I'm so thankful that we don't read, do not irritate the Holy Spirit. Although I tend to think that that would be more my prognosis sometimes. But it says don't grieve him. We have a will that we can resist him. Scripture makes that very clear. 
But he has a will too. And his will is to draw you close to the, to, close to the Father. That's the week number one. Week number two of our three, we saw the perspective and the purpose of those gifts. The perspective is nestled in between being an essential part of the body and being driven by love are where these gifts are listed. That's always the context for the way these gifts are listed. Now, understand, that's the same idea that if tonight I were to hand, you know, if I were, I was going to hand Hugo a, a, a big hammer and I was going to hand Isidro a nail gun, which I don't know if that's really in our best interest, but just the same. And if I, you know, and I were to hand Lucas sort of a power screwdriver and I was to hand Chris a handsaw and I said, all right, let's get to it. And if you didn't know what purpose there was, Think about it. You would be like a Cedro and Chris would be fighting with each other, sword fighting. It'd just be that, that'd just be that. And that's what happens without clear direction from Scripture. But Scripture tells us, first of all, when God gives you these gifts, the purpose for that is to work like a team. It's that we would not think we're like the Lone Ranger, man, like out there, like doing it all by myself on an island. You know, how in the world are you as a part of the body going to function by yourself? Think that through. Don't you, aren't you just glad that your body doesn't function like Christ's body often does? It's like your liver would quit and try to join another part of the body just because it didn't like what it saw. Or the spleen would just kind of have its own little hissy fit and sit and say, that's okay, I don't actually have to be a part of the body. I just sit at home and watch how other things filter toxins. I mean, really, that's how it works, right? And yet, Scripture it tells us that if we are going to really claim these things that God has laid before us, then we better be careful to recognize we are a, a body. We are a team. And as a team, we are to work together. The house gets built because every one of you does your job. Next door to us, where I live up in New Barnet, they have been rebuilding the house almost from the ground up. They pretty much just gutted that baby and redid it. Now, that's been really fun because, I'll be honest, the nice thing is it gets me up a lot earlier than I would want or expect to because, of course, none of that building is quiet. But everyone has their job. I mean, there is the guy that's out there, and he's clearly sawing, and he saws early. He's got to saw early so that other guys can hammer it and screw it in and, and put that joist where it needs to be and so forth. That's just what he does. There's the other guy who's, by the way, he's out there and he's laughing and he's plastering. His job is to make sure that the plaster goes on right. So another person there's painting and there's at least four guys that are hired simply to sit right outside our window and scream obscenities from eight in the morning until noon. I'm not exactly sure what that has to do with the house, but they're there. There's no doubt about it. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) but each one of them has their job. Now, it's interesting because sometimes the jobs kind of blur in the edges in the sense that this guy may help this guy in his job, but each one of them has a responsibility with his, with his giftings, and with those giftings, he has to do his thing, and if he doesn't do his thing, the, uh, the whole house doesn't function well. If the architect decides that somehow, wow, who needs support walls or support beams, let's just make it pretty. Well, then, of course, the second floor becomes the first floor. Because there's a reason for things to be what they call load-bearing. And so there is that person that has to actually be able to draw these things out so it's done right. There has to be a clear plan. But even among that clear plan, there have to be people that aren't just learning how to use a nail gun. You, the last thing you want is it's like as a surgeon to say, oops, as a dentist that says, this is my first day. Or for a builder with a nail gun saying, this is the first time I've picked one of these up. You just don't want those things. If you run, just run. And say, oh, by the way, I just barely passed. So what's wrong with you? Gallbladder was, oh, we'll just take out whatever looks big. Think about what that would be like. 
But now consider this. God has that same plan. And he has positioned you in a place so that every person, if they do what God has called them to, this building gets built up. We're not talking about cobweb heaven. We're, we're, talking about, we're talking about we as living stones are being built together for a dwelling place of God. That's what Peter tells us. Christ is our foundation. Christ is our cornerstone. And then we get built up. So follow me on this as we start now to prepare for these list of, and all there are in Scripture, prove me wrong, are a list of 17 different gifts according to Scripture. You can try to find more than that. And people say, well, I have the spiritual gift of worship. Well, that's really cool, except it's not listed as one of the 17. Now, that doesn't mean you don't have a spiritual gift you can exercise in it. But I've learned this. Music, like a lot of things, are, it's a vehicle. And it's important. You can judge the vehicle, but you'd be more careful to say, what is it carrying? That's the point. It's a courier. So as I really like the beat. Yeah, but if it says, kill your mother, kill your mother, kill your mother, I'm not real happy. I'm not, I'm not going to like that song. It's just kind of the way it works. So follow me on this particular plan from our great architect. This is what he tells us. We all start out as sinners. That's the beginning of this. Now, all that simply means, in the, in the simplest sense, is that God's revealed himself and we said, no, we will not take you on your terms. I'm going to live my life my way. Now, what's interesting is we can still pretend like God's going to follow us, but he's supposed to be our leader. And we can still try to make up our own rules and, and say that, well, this is what it means to go to heaven. I'm going to be a good person, well, at least better than that person. And, of course, the worse you get, the harder you have to find a person. But sooner or later, you're still better than Hitler, right? So you're going to go to heaven. So that's how it goes. Well, God has a different plan than that. And we all started as sinners. Now, in the end of it all, every religion is based on what you do to get right. That's the whole point of it. Everyone, we all recognize somewhere down the line, something is wrong and it needs to be rectified. Every other religion in the world is about us initiating some form of plan, actuating that plan, getting it done, and then presenting it at the end, and hopefully it's good enough, except for Jesus. Because with Jesus, he initiated the plan before the foundation of the world. He stepped into earth. He died on the cross, though completely perfect and completely innocent, died on the cross so that all of our sins could be paid for, rose again on the third day to give us brand new life. Now, in other words, with everything else, we initiate, we perform, and at the end of it all, God, hopefully it's good enough for him. Now, he judges. But with Scripture, according to what Jesus has done, he initiated, he performed on the cross, lays it before us, and says, now it's your choice. What are you going to do with this? And if we say yes to that gift of Jesus, we move from sinner to saved. Now, by the way, there's another word for that, and that's saint. Now, I don't know where you've come from, and I know some of you, you've come from places where saint is someone who has to do like card tricks and raise the dead and save a whale and this kind of thing, and then turn water into wine themselves. But scripturally, all a saint is, it just means called out one, Ecclesiastes. And you, the moment you've accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, you are a saint, according to scripture. When you read the epistles, it says, to the saints and the brothers. So that's Saint Geoffrey. That's St. Joe, in case you guys don't know. St. Joseph, right there. All those like, hospitals and everything, that's the guy right there. St. Marcia, St. Shirley, St. Marcia. Two different Marcias, by the way. I'm not St. Devil. That's just the way it works. That's Scripture. When we go from sinner to saint. But see, that's not the end of it. If that was the way it was, the book would be a lot smaller. But there's a difference. Now, there was a day it was Sinner Jeffrey. But Sinner Jeffrey became St. Jeffrey the day he accepted the gift of Jesus Christ. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ? That'd be the same as two people, they move in and they say, we're married. Why? Because we decided so. But even, even the government doesn't recognize that. They're like, nice, you can call yourself what you want, but until you, until you stand and make a conscious, open decision to say yes at the altar, or whatever their altar is going to be, you're not legally married. And in the same way, you're not legally 
a saint until you say yes to the gift of Jesus. But why would you say no to a gift like that? Now, Sinner Jeffrey went to St. Jeffrey, but the day, that Saint Je- the day that Sinner Jeffrey became St. Jeffrey, God had a plan now and he wants to make him student Jeffrey. Now he says, and the word, by the way, in Scripture is the word mathitikas, and it's the word that simply means disciple. And all disciple is, is a student. That's all it means. So when they said Jesus' disciples, that just meant Jesus' students. Jesus was just a teacher that walked around like other itinerant teachers with a bunch of people that followed him because they were students. That's the way the religious leadership saw Jesus. Well, that and they were really troubled because he was, you know, not succumbing to their particular traditions. Now, that's not the end of it either. But that's one of the reasons we go to church, to be honest, is we go to church, one of the reasons is because as a student, we want to be taught. We open up that book and it says, as newborn babes in Christ, desire the pure milk of the word that you grow thereby. God says, the moment you get saved and become a saint, become a student and open up your textbook. The only difference is now the author of the book lives inside of you. You go, but I don't understand everything. God says, I didn't tell you you were supposed to understand everything right now. Just like a good architect, he builds the first floor before the second. And sometimes you'll read through and you go, oh, all I get is this one thing. God's like, that's the only thing you need to know right now. That is load-bearing information. The next time you're going to pick up other information, that will bear the load for the next floor. But if you think you're going to understand it all the first time, then what in the world are you going to do with all that information? That's the same thing as saying, well, I'm not going to take a shower because I can't drink all the water when it comes out of the, the tap. Well, duh, it's not there to do it. It's there to wash you. So you go from, from sinner to saint and saint to student, but that's not the end of it either. See, because as a student, what we're actually in is the school of Jesus, not the school of Shoreline Calvary, not the school of whatever else, not the school of Christianity, thank the Lord, but the school of Jesus. And as being in the school of Jesus, the goal is to become more like Jesus. That's the whole point. But the thing is, Jesus wasn't just a student. He was the teacher, but he's a servant. So we go, Jeffrey went from sinner Jeffrey to Saint Jeffrey to student Jeffrey to servant Jeffrey. And the thing is, is though Jeffrey is a servant, he's also still a student. Though I'm a servant, I'm still a student. My goal is not to be an emblem of perfection. Good luck with that one. I'm a human being like you are. But my, the blessing would be for you to watch me grow like I get to watch you grow. I'm praying that if the Lord tarry 10 years from now, Shirley and I are going to laugh and go, remember where we were 10 years ago? And we thought, wow, could it get any better than that? Chris would pipe in and he'd go, (laughs) yeah, bro, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because 10 years from now, we're all going to grow even more so closer to Christ. And therefore, how can we grow more like Christ than not be servants? Now, understand, if we move from this to this to this to this, and we pick these things up on the way, if that be the case, as we become servants, the Lord is not going to not equip us, but rather what he's going to do is he's going to give us the tools that are necessary. Please, listen, listen, not to make a permanent, not to make a a temporary change, but a permanent change, an eternal change in things. And we can do things. Some of us are conniving or bright or brilliant or charming or cute or whatever enough that you can actually make cool little changes to things physically by your natural abilities. But they don't make permanent changes. Have you learned that? I mean, I could kick up dust all day by my natural tendencies, but I can't move mountains without Christ. My goal tonight isn't to kick up dust in your heart. It's to move mountains. Now, now please hear me. As that is the case then, he starts laying out, well, here are some of the things that I'm going to put into your belt. 
Now understand, if Marcia is a plasterer, but Joe is a, is a carpenter, they're going to have different things in their belt. They may actually share a couple of the same tools, but all of the tools they have may be, the total recipes will be different. Does that make sense? Not only will they be different, but even if they had the same tool, they would probably use it differently because it's for a different purpose. The end result is the house gets built, but the tools are used, and God has tools for every believer because his goal is to use you, listen, to impact eternity. Not just be nice and have people go, that's a really nice guy. Now, here becomes the problem. Unless we let the Bible, who by the way, please understand, I'm convinced that the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. So it's like, you know, I've read this really bright guy and he's got glasses and he speaks really well and da 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 Well, that's great, but I'll tell you what, the Bible quotes the Bible best. And if I want to get a definition for all of these things, I just have to start asking myself, what's the word? How does it play out in Scripture? Because if I don't define it according to Scripture, you know what I'll do? I'll wait for some form of esoteric experience and then I'll say, oh, that must be it. Peace. Oh. Oh, this is the peace of God. That's it, right? Because why? Someone told me that's peace. It's like, like, oh, yeah. It's the peace of God. It's like, you know, that's what happens. So follow me on this. I'm going to go through the list now. Are you ready? That was a question. Okay, good. I just want to make sure that I wasn't speaking in the morgue. Like, are you ready? Everyone's like, okay, here we go. The first handful, by the way, we're going to pull right out of Romans chapter 12. And here's the first of them. It says, who, he who prophesies. So the first one is prophecy. The word for prophecy, by the way, in the, in the Greek for what's what is prophetia, like prophet. Now, it's interesting. One of the ways that I want to get definition is how do I see these things potentially borne out in the book of Acts? Because if I see how these things are born out in the book of Acts, it gives me a better understanding. Now, this is what I can tell you. That there are over 42 different people listed as prophets in one manner or another in Scripture. And there seems to be one very common message throughout all of Scripture. Prophecy is not foretelling the future, always. Prophecy is, for, is, is foretelling the Word of God. That is what's clear in Scripture. The term you'll see is the term, thus says the Lord. That's what you're going to see. Now, the reason I say that is, is that just because a person may have information about you does not mean they're prophesying. We'll see that there's another particular one that's later on that we'll see. Interesting. Do you know what the primary message of the prophet is in Scripture? Repent. That's the primary message. As a matter of fact, no other message gets mentioned more in Scripture by prophets than the one repent. By the way, prophets speak to whom? According to Scripture. Does anyone know? God's people, excellently. Then understand, the prophet isn't actually for the unbeliever. The prophet's for the believer. The prophet's for God's people. The evangelist is for the unbeliever. The prophet's job is to turn to God's people and to challenge them to repent. Now let me ask you, do we need prophets today? (laughs) The question then is, does the church need to repent? For which I would say, bring them on. Now, just because a guy eats bugs and comes in wearing a robe and says he should have authority over the church doesn't make him a prophet. And we could say we're a not-for-profit business. But, please hear me, a prophet is somebody with a burning message, and the message usually first impacts them. 
scripturally, by the way, as I move from student to servant, one of the things I start to see are those things that I thought were just freedoms that I could enjoy get removed for the purpose of serving other people. Can I enjoy this freedom and still serve to the greatest capacity? And what you find is a lot of these things that I think I can do but still not go to hell are things I will start walking away from the moment that I actually want to start serving other people because they get in the way. And I don't want anything to get in the way of serving people. Now, a prophet today? Well, Scripture says this. And by the way, here's two texts for you to check. Deuteronomy 13 and Deuteronomy 18. Scripture says that a prophet, if they're going to call themselves a prophet, has to be 100% right, 100% of the time, or you stone them. That's just a, no, that's a, tough, that's a tough job. Let's be honest. I mean, the joke I think that my brother used to tell is, you know why there's so many false prophets in the world today? We stop stoning them. That's just that simple. Um, truth be told, now, if a guy wants to call himself, hey, I think I may have the gift of prophecy, check me, that's one thing. But if a guy says, I should have authority because I'm a prophet, then I'd say, anytime you say, thus says the Lord, you better be 100% right 100% of the time. Because that is the scriptural standard. So when you've got a group of people that gather together in, I don't know, Kansas City or wherever, or hypothetically anywhere, and say, well, today's prophets are only right 70% of the time, that means either you stone 30% of them or you shut down the school. Because according to scripture, a real prophet should be 100% right because he says, thus says the Lord. Now, I can tell you this. Any pastor should be sharing and there should be prophecy involved. Now, that's not just speaking about the future. I can tell you, anytime I read Scripture, I can confidently tell you, thus says the Lord, because that's what Scripture says. But I wouldn't call myself a prophet. But there are people who will exercise the gift of prophecy. And what you'll find is, I know Christian musicians that are like this. Their songs are challenging the church to repent. I love people like that. There was a guy back in the late 80s, early 90s, his name was Steve Camp. Um, you probably wouldn't know him. His, his voice was a, was a little bit different, so it all depends if you're kind of a different voice kind of person. But the songs he would write were so profoundly prophetic. Keith Green, some of you are familiar with him. Some of the songs he would write were so profoundly prophetic because what it was was written to believers, challenging them to get up and, and run to the battle, to get up and not want to go back to Egypt to really get up and, and it's like that's where they you know lines are quoted from other people like you know some people are comfortable to sit within the comfort of church bells but I, me I'd rather set up a mission a yard away from hell I mean those kind of ch- those challenges to the church let's get up and let's do it not just let's get up and do stuff but let's repent that's the message of the prophet and that's our first gift second gift according to this is the gift of ministry this is one of my favorites because the word is the word diakonia could you say diakonia Okay, that was great for four of you. Now let's try the rest of you. Diokonia. Thank you for those four of you who said it louder. All right. <coughs> now, the, um, you know, there's, there's the sort of the joke. It's amazing what happens because you give a guy a badge and he thinks he's a sheriff. And this is one of my favorites for that. A deacon. That's where the word is. Deacon comes from the word diakonos, or like this, diokonia. It literally means to run an errand. So when a guy kind of walks up to you and goes, hey, don't mess with me, man. I'm a deacon. Tell him, well, go get me a donut because he's an errand runner. That's his job. Now, please hear me. The gift of ministry in the simplest sense is a person who actually goes out and just does stuff, runs errands, fixes things. They're kind of the person that just kind of gets their hands really dirty. And that is a that can be a spiritual gift. Now, listen, here's the difference between a talent and a spiritual gift because some of these, you can be both. A talent gets things done. A spiritual gift gets things done eternally. There's the difference. 
So it's amazing. One guy can actually fix a faucet, and that's great. Another guy can fix a faucet, and somebody gets saved from it. I don't know how that works, but I can tell you that somehow when the whole church is working, but if the pastor is busy fixing a faucet, he can't share the message. And you know what? I'll be honest. There are people who set up that tea table. There are people that do everything from count the money and all that stuff, because I don't want anything to do with that, to make sure that everything's set up. I mean, I can't set all of this up by myself and be ready in time. There are people that come in and they pick up speakers and put them on poles and plug them in and run sound and collect the information, to collect the recordings, get them onto the radio, get them onto um, the Internet. It's like, that's a lot of deaconry, don't you think? And you know what the cool thing is? All of that stuff doesn't necessarily get seen, but those people still contribute. If any person gives their life to Christ through this ministry, they're an investment in that particular. They collect the dividend of that as well. Because they are, in that sense, exercising the gift of ministry. Now listen, the gift of ministry is a a fun one because if you think about it, with something like the gift of ministry, there's a particular aspect where, (coughs) excuse me, you may not think you're gifted with people. But you feel like, well, then I can't really do anything in the church. Nonsense. There are people that are gifted graphic designers that help put together flyers and people that help construct the website. You know what's great? People get saved from the website. Are you aware of that? The gospel message, we have it on recording as a video. People actually watch that video and we've had people respond that said they've given their life to Christ. We have, in some cases, over 72,000 people who visit the website in the course of a month. That's a bit crazy. Now, I'm not saying that, like, check us out how awesome we are. The bottom line is, none of that would be happening unless somebody put that website together, and I guarantee you that wasn't me. Isn't it wonderful to see how that happens? Let me tell you a quick little story, and hopefully I won't do too many of these because we've got, what, 15 more. (laughs) And you won't find the gift of patience on here either, but that's not. But it is a spiritual fruit. Anyways, um... We used to go to Israel at least once a year. And one of the places we would go in Israel was a place called Yardinet. And Yardinet was a place that's right on the Jordan River where we do our baptizing. Now, I don't know if any of you have ever heard the song. It's like, chilly, or was it Jordan is chilly and cold. Man, it is true. There is nothing I've known that's as cold as the Jordan River, man. That is cold. Have you been there with us? Oh, okay. Well, never mind then. Um, it is it is really cold. And it's there are three tributaries that come down, um, and two of them into the Sea of Galilee that come around. It's um, the Hasbani and the um, Banias, uh, which are natural springs, and then the water melts from the Mount Hermon down, and the three of those things collect into one, by the way. So there's our three-in-one. Great illustration of the Trinity. And that works down its way to the Jordan River, which then goes down into the Dead Sea. So that river is frozen. You know, it's frozen snow versus melted snow, and that melts in terms of the water. Well, we're in there, and one of the years <coughs> we're there, <coughs> excuse me, there, um, we, we kind of get there, and by this point I kind of know everybody that works there, at least that have been there for several years, and I'm on a first-name basis, and I'd kind of go and say hi to the manager and all that. And so one of the years I'd kind of show up, and we had a team of, I don't know, there's 60 of us or something like that, and as we kind of head into there, there is um, one of the gals is waiting there, she says, um, are you Pastor Tony? And she says, do you, do you speak French? And I says, uh, you know, enough, I think. And she says, well, there's this person that is looking to get baptized. And they're just kind of wanting somebody to, you know, to kind of take them in. I'm like, all right, well, that's really cool. So um, we'll get to, you know, get to pull in. But the cool, cool thing is there's actually somebody else on our team, too, that's, that's a bit bilingual. So between the two of us, we were able to decipher. And so I'm asking this guy, Sebastian, who's been sitting there this whole time, um, since early, early in the morning, I'm like, this poor guy has waited all day for somebody to speak French so he can go and get baptized. And I'm like, wow, sad. I mean, we're there, it's like 4 o'clock at night, you know, in the evening. 
just the same. And so we ask him, well, can you share the gospel with me? What does it mean? You know, why do you want to be baptized? And it's great because he didn't think it was to be initiated into a church. He had said that his situation was that, um, you know, he accepted the gift of Jesus Christ and he wants to publicly testify of what happened to him spiritually. And he said it in a way as if I could have written a script. It was amazing. He's like, I just want to publicly demonstrate what happened to me spiritually. I was buried in Christ, raised in the newness of life. I want to show the world that in this baptism. I said, wow, that is the best French answer I've ever heard in my life. I says, well, let's go. So he comes and joins us. Um, I learned a couple things about Sebastian on um, our particular time. Uh, with this, he, um, we get up. And so any person who's not been baptized before gets a chance to give a two-minute testimony, which I thought was a pretty cool thing. And uh, so he stands up and he begins to speak. And now he's trying to share in broken English, but he does a very good job. And basically what he goes to tell everyone is, is that he's, he lives in southern France and he has a friend that's there. And his friend has been listening to this particular teacher on the Internet. And he liked this teacher so much that he started inviting all of his friends over to come and listen to this teacher. And what he would do is he would play some, stop it. He'd, re- he'd then translate to his friends. And he'd go and start it again. He'd stop it, you know, which would take him about three hours by the time it was done. Well, from this, this particular person keeps giving an invitation to receive Jesus at the end of it. So with that, this guy received Christ through his friend who had received Christ through the Internet. So his friend had responded to this. Then his friend started sharing with everyone else. This, so that makes sense. Well, then this, this guy now, Sebastian, had learned, and when he went onto the Internet and checked the website of the person that had been speaking, he went on the Internet and discovered that that particular church was going to Israel. And so he went there in the beginning of the day to wait for that church that showed up at 4 p.m. Here's the crazy part about that is that all of that happened because somebody put our messages on the Internet. Is that crazy? And that person who put that on the Internet saw a guy got... And that person, by the way, was on our team, that particular... So they were actually there to listen to Sebastian as he went and made this testimony. And I just turned and said, bro, that's, you did this. That was your deaconry. Because of what you did, this is what happened. I also learned one other thing about this Frenchman is that, I don't know if this, you can correct me if I'm wrong, Hugo, but um, they, they, what they do is they give you this like white linen robe and you put it on and then you get baptized in it, right, if you want. I've learned that with, um, that at least this particular man chose to wear nothing underneath it whatsoever. Um, which, and he was a very hairy man. And when the white linen gets into the water and he came out, I, I'm, I'm like this, right? I'm pulling him up and everyone's going, ah! And I'm thinking they're all just so happy he's getting baptized. It's like, oh, like, ah! it was a bunch of a surprise, needless to say. So here's the point. Please hear me. Never, never, never assume I will ever look small and certainly never assume God will look small on this smallest thing that's, been, that's done in your mind if you do it for the Lord. Bake a pie. Mow a lawn. Fix a sink. Pick up trash. People that put signs outside, people come in and give their life to Christ from that. You realize that? Isn't that crazy? There's somebody that walks around occasionally and picks up the trash around this place just to make it look a little nicer. Do you know what that does? The priest who actually runs this building recognizes that and he goes, I just recognize you guys are just, you care about the building like it's your own. I'm like, I, and I, I didn't want to say to him, well, I didn't do it. You know? I said, well, well yes, we do. <laughs> Okay, the third one. 
uh, is teaches. It says he who teaches. Didasco. Now understand, teaches, like we'll see in Acts chapter 20, for instance, Paul will go on all night. You won't see that with me. That's not my plan, although you may feel like it. But please hear me. There's a very big difference between, a, and this is one of those areas where you want to be careful, the difference between the talent of teaching and the gift of teaching. Remember, the talent of teaching, you can instruct information, you can give information and instruct people for something temporary. The spiritual gift of teaching, you can instruct someone in something that's with an eternal perspective. Now, I know people that are really talented teachers who are, may not necessarily be gifted, spiritually gifted teachers. I went to a men's conference one and I heard this guy talking about something that had to do with changing a carburetor and how that related to something spiritual. Now, I am not actually a mechanic by any means, but I'll, say, I'll tell you this. When I left there really being confident I could fix the carburetor, but I had no concept what in the world he was talking about spiritually. And I'm like, well, maybe he was just off. Maybe that was just a rough one for him. I listened to three or four messages, and he was really good at teaching temporary things. But man, I couldn't get a single eternal thing out of him. Now look at, the bottom line is, and you know, here's the cool thing. If you fall in love with Jesus, you'll just find yourself doing these things. Are you aware of that? Here's the cool, that's the cool thing. You find three guys that are actually, or even a gal or two or three or whatever, and you find, put them in a room, and they're all in love with Jesus, and they're all teachers. Like, they never shut up. They're like, you know, someone will go, that reminds me of Jesus, blah, 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 blah. And the other person will go, oh, yeah, well, did you know how that is in the Greek? And the other person will go, yeah, that reminds me of another scripture. And, and it's like they're all, and it's like there's like sermon happening. It's like brewing among these people. They're just throwing in stuff into a stew. And that's what happens when you get that. You find a bunch of people with the spiritual gift of ministry, and you know what you find? It's just like people fighting over, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll fold bulletins, I'll go make this, I'll go do this. How awesome is that? The next one, number four, and that'll pick up, I think. Um, is the gift of exhortation. Now, the word, by the way, is parakaleho, which should be a familiar word if you're familiar with what Jesus says about the helper, because it's the same word. Para meaning beside. Kaleho means to be called, to be called beside. A person with the gift of exhortation simply challenges you to put into practice what you know. Any evangelist better be an exhorter. And you'll see, for instance, Paul is clearly this. 2 Thessalonians 3.12, he'll say, Now to those that we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness. And by the way, and eat with their own bread. 1 Timothy 2.1, Paul will tell Timothy, I exhort you, therefore, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all men, especially those who are in authority. He'll tell us that. And he'll actually tell Timothy in 2 Timothy, like chapter 1, I don't know, it's like verse 6, where he'll tell him, Hey, Timothy, let me remind you, stir up the gift that's in you, man. Get busy. Get about it. He'll challenge the same thing to Archippus, by the way, in Colossians 4.7. And in all these cases, what you'll find is it's usually an exhorter is somebody that will, you know what an exhorter is? An exhorter is a running coach. That's what an exhorter is. It's the person that actually says, I know you're getting tired, but let's push it. Let's do this. Let's go for it. Come on, let's try this. What are you doing? Let's do it. Come on, man. It's the person that maybe tried it and they got burnt out or whatever, and now they're like, well, I don't know. He says, no, 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 man, get back on it. God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. And he's got a calling for your life. It is so amazing. Get up and do it, man. Fifth, giving. Did you know that that was actually a spiritual gift? Now, listen, apolates is the word. And it means, to be honest, to just hand things over. I happen to know some people with this. I think my in-laws, how great is that that I married into a family where the mom and dad have the spiritual gift of giving? Now, there's a difference. Now, there's some people that are just giving and they'll just hand anything to anyone and what you find is most of it will never return back and they don't really care, they're indiscriminate. But there are other people that they see the Lord at work and they just want to support it. And I just, you know what? 
You, you know, it's like you don't have to beat people to make them give. That's ridiculous because God doesn't like anyone giving because they have to. But when you're in love with Jesus, some people just keep a really loose rein on what they have. What you find is it's like those kind of people will drive other people crazy if they're trying to be administrative because they're like, I just, oh, I gave that away. But you know, it's like if you, walk, if you go to a place like India, the second time you go there, chances are if you're anything like me, you'll take three quarters of your entire wardrobe and put it in bags and hand it over to other people. Because you're like, I, I just don't need this, and you do. But understand, remember, there's the difference between the talent and the spiritual gift. The spiritual gift, when they give, it actually goes to eternal ramification, goes to eternal difference. So what's interesting is you watch someone with a spiritual gift of giving, and they won't go, and they won't give to every charity that they see. And let's be honest, how could you? If you walk down Camden, you'll have given away your life savings four times before you get to the station. You know, it's because everyone's got a clipboard. But it's amazing when it's like the Lord just shows them that. That needs it right now when they do. So there are those that have that gift. Next gift, verse number six, by the way, and look at verse six to 17, is the gift of leading. The word is proistomy. Pro means to be in front of or the first. Istomy means to stand. Like antihistamine means to actually be against that which stands in your head. Now, proistomy, the word for leading, is the idea of somebody that's willing to stand in front of people. And they're supposed to do that with diligence and eagerness and earnestness is the idea. And there's some that the Lord will call to lead, by the way. And you know what? They'll never, they never have to fight to be in the front of the queue. They just wind up there. You probably guessed there are people in this room that are like that. It's like no matter much, how much they try to hide, they wind up in the front of it. You know those kind of people like they wind up working two weeks later, they're the manager and they don't know how that happened. And it isn't even like they even necessarily worked harder than someone else. Well, that would be the talent of it. Spiritually, you'll see that that happens. You'll see that there are certain people that God just calls to come in front of other people. And no matter how much they fight it, they're going to wind up there sooner or later, one way or another, kicking and screaming or otherwise. So there's the spiritual gift of leading. Do any of these stir your heart yet? Any of these that you go, hmm, maybe I find myself doing? Seven, how about this one? Showing mercy, aliajo, compassion. With cheerfulness is the challenge, by the way, according to Romans. There was a spiritual gift of compassion or mercy. And by the way, to have the gift of compassion literally means that you actually get excited when you see someone in need. That's really the idea of it. Now that need may be emotional. That need may be, you know, some form of like they're in a really bad way, but you are driven to people. That, you know, it's like, and he'll be the same. It'll be, you know, Quessy and myself and Jeffrey and Allie will walk into a room. And as we walk into a room, and let me just challenge you on this. One of the things you'll discover is, one of the ways you'll start discovering what gifts you have or what God starts to show you. So we start walking in the room, and, and Charlene's with us, and we walk in the room. And as we walk in the room, filled with people, Jeffrey overhears a conversation over here, and he hears bad doctrine, and Jeffrey just can't handle it. He's going to go over there and talk to them. He's going to start a conversation and try to clean that up. Sounds like a teacher, or maybe a prophet, but I'm going with teacher on that the first time around. Now, as that's the case, <coughs> Questy, on the other hand, he looks, and the only thing he sees is that there's actually trash overflowing in the bin. And he goes, man, that's overflowing. Now, what do you think I'm going to tell him? Why don't you go take it out, man? He may have the spiritual gift of service. Do you see that? How that happens. Now, as that's the case, Ellie and I and Charlene keep walking because the two of them have gone and darted off. And as that's the case, Charlene now notices a girl in the corner and she's crying and by herself. And Charlene's like, I've got to go talk to that girl. I can't. It's the only girl I can see in the room. She may very well have the gift of mercy. Do you see how that works? So she goes in and offers mercy to her. 
Well, that's the case of two of us start walking and all of a sudden Allie is standing there for five minutes and the next thing you know, Allie's heading up a group of people doing something and she may have actually the gift of leadership. And all of a sudden, as that's the case, people are like, we were just wondering, we want to start a whole thing on this whole idea, you know, spiritually, and we were wondering to start a Bible study. We were wondering where you think it should happen. And all of a sudden, Allie's like, uh, I didn't volunteer for this. But the Lord has this way of doing that. And the cool thing is, if we're just available, you kind of find yourself doing what you're supposed to sooner or later. That's the beauty in it. Okay, number eight. Are you with me so far? Have I completely just dumbfounded you? Okay, good. Let's just, I'm going to agree with your no. Number, I'm just trusting you. You know, I can talk truth, man, with relationships built on truth. Number eight, a word of wisdom. I want to do number eight and number nine together for a moment. A word of wisdom and a word of knowledge. Sophia and Gnosis. We should be familiar with these words. Now listen, a word of knowledge means you, I mean, it should be kind of a no-brainer. You just know something you couldn't possibly know otherwise. God had to reveal it to you. Now understand, from a spiritual perspective, you're not actually trying to figure out whether or not Tottenham's going to get two points, one, and who's going to kick that goal. Because then you'd start laying down money, you'd head off to Ladbrokes. God's not interested. That doesn't create an eternal difference. <clears throat> but it's interesting that God can give you that. But often what I've found is a lot of times God couples a word of knowledge with a word of wisdom. Let me give you a classic example. In the book of Genesis, chapter 41, there's a situation where Joseph, if you remember, the, the, the Pharaoh's gotten dreams. And as he's gotten dreams, he can't really seem to figure out what they are. And then he, now Joseph, is going to be giving some knowledge. Now, that knowledge is that he's going to say, well, this is, the, this is the information you're looking for. There's going to be seven years of plenty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine. That's knowledge he could not possibly have known. That is a word of knowledge. Now, there could be that he interpreted the, well, it's an interpretation of the dreams, so you could either say he interpreted the language of those dreams. I'm going to go with the fact he got a word of knowledge. Now, with that, he could have stopped with that, but he says, let me tell you what you should do next. Now, this is pretty brassy for a guy that they just yanked out of, out of prison. They just sort of shaved up and set before the, 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 the uh, pharaoh. But he says, this is what you should do. In those seven years, I want you to take 10%, 20% if you want, and then take it, and I want you to store that away of the grain so when the famine comes, you'll have all this stored away. Did you see what just happened? He went from a word of knowledge to a word of wisdom. Did you see that? All wisdom is, is how to apply the knowledge you have. That's all, not, that's all wisdom is, in its simplest sense. There are some people that are full of knowledge but have no wisdom. It's like, I know what this is, I know what it does, but I have no idea how to use it. That's obviously the problem. That's me and my iPhone, to be honest. But I, you know, it's like, but there are times, in, here's the thing, how do you know you have a word of knowledge? You don't. Go for it. Now, maybe the Lord will say, Marcia, this is a word of knowledge. But, you know, chances are there will be that part of you goes, oh, no, I'm going to look like an imbecile. But you look like an imbecile fighting God at that moment, trying not to share what is on your heart. Does that make any sense? So sometimes, by the way, and by the way, remember, the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit is to bring people closer to God, right? Walking with the pastor who's now the, the senior pastor at the church we left. We're here one of those times when we, before we moved here, sitting and talking with this individual. And he is Michael, Miguel. He's from Spain. And he's there and he's just going off about how Jesus performed all his miracles because nanobots were in his system, little robots flowing through his bloodstream. And that allowed him to be able to create all his miracles. Now, the teacher that Pastor Jack is, the guy who's at the church, he's, gonna, he's just going after him. Well, let me tell you about doctrine. Let me tell you about scripture. Let me do that, that kind of thing. And I'm like, I'm like watching this and I'm going, this just isn't happening. It's not connecting. And I finally just went, excuse me, Mikhail, tell me about your dad. And it's like everything went, it changed like this. 
Now, he could have looked at me and went, what are you talking about, psycho, and moved on. But it was sort of like, I felt like the Lord was putting that on my heart. Now, I had nothing to lose. The guy was already going off and being weird. So, I mean, I was, I was either going to meet him at weird or I was going to... And he turned and he goes, oh. And he just started crying. He started to share with me about what was going on with his dad. And I'm like, the problem you have is, is really approaching your Heavenly Father, isn't it? This whole Jesus thing that you've kind of played with here. That means nothing in comparison. It's another time where we... And I'm just trying to give you examples that I understand in my own life, but that fit in Scripture. Sitting in an atheist booth in San Luis Obispo at the farmer's market with a couple gals. And then we just don't believe in Jesus. And I'm like, you know, and then they went off about how angry they are at this Jesus they don't believe in. And this God that they say doesn't exist, but they're so angry. I'm like, how can you be so angry at a God that doesn't exist? I'm not angry at Santa Claus. You know, it isn't like I set things up and go, oh, don't believe in Santa Claus. Santa Claus, the evil of today and all that kind of thing. I don't set a booth up that says, by the way, there's no Santa Claus. Kids go home and cry. I don't, I don't do that. And so I'm like, okay. And here I'm, 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 you know, I'm, I'm, I come in like a sheriff, you know. And I'm like, let me talk about prophecy. I'm opening up the Bible. I'm like this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And these things were closed 400 years before, and this seven, this 1,200 years. And now look at how Jesus fulfilled it. This, and this, and this, and this, and this. And they're like, wow, okay, stop. Okay, I don't, I, okay, well, you're just right. I'm just going to, so you're going to accept Jesus? They're like, no. Why in the world would I want to do that? I'm like, because I was right. It's like, but I don't. And I, and I, and I, and I, this is one of those moments, and I said, so how long have you been a lesbian? Now, could you imagine risking that? She's like, what? Who told? What? How, what? I'm like, look it. The only reason I'm saying that is because I really believe that's the reason you don't want to give your life to Christ. It's because you don't want to give that up. No. What if she'd have looked and said, punk, stupid, what are you talking about? I'd have been like, yeah, you win. I'm an imbecile. But God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So the scripture is still scripture. Obviously, what that said is an idiot just showed you truth. Okay, anyways, the point is, is that if we want those things, understand the purpose isn't to make us look like the magic Houdini super brain person. The purpose of it all is to be used to bring people to Christ. Isn't that the whole idea of it? Maybe the Lord puts something on your heart and you're afraid to act on it. Can I just say act on it? Unless it's something clearly sinful, act on it. You ever have one of those moments where you were like not going to pay the bills and someone showed up and gave you a check with the exact amount? Am I the only person that has that kind of testimony in this room? Sorry. <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, <laughs> clearly, now could you imagine if that woman went, well, I don't know. I mean, this is probably not the Lord giving, you know. It was down to the penny, man. It was like so right there. But clearly, the God, the God gave her a word of knowledge. So that guy needs to pay a bill, and I want to use you. Isn't that amazing how that works? But I guarantee you, even if it wasn't that, somebody spoke to someone already, and they came into your life because God told them something they couldn't have known unless he told them. That's just the way it works. Okay, working around now. Faith, number 10. <clears throat> and this just simply means trust. There are people out there that they'll never just be overwhelmed by anything because they're just like, God's cool. And you know what? I've learned this because this tends to be one I, I, I tend to embrace. When you're around administrators that ever want you to really look serious and concerned, you have to learn how to look concerned. Does that make any sense? Because it looks like you just don't take things seriously. It's like, yeah, I don't understand. Everything's fine. I'm like, no, no, it's going to work out, really. And they're like, what do you mean it's going to work out? And you're like, no, no, it's really, it's going it's to be fine. Oh, come on, you're just not taking it seriously. And I've learned this because my wife's an administrative kind of individual. So I've learned to do this. Hmm. Now I've got these lines. I have these lines right here. Do you know what these lines are from? 
proving to my wife that I take things seriously. That's what they're from, actually, you know. So those are, those are, my, those are my concern lines right there. So anyways, you get the idea. But maybe you have that. There are certain times where it's like everyone's jumping out windows and you're still sitting in your seat going, things are cool. Now, I'm not talking about you were actually just doped up and not caring and apathetic, but you just really trust that God's going to take care of it. You know what? Do you know how much of a miracle it is that we live here? I'm not just talking about my family, but you as well. It's the most expensive place on earth to live right now, as far as cities. You realize that? Congratulations, we beat Tokyo again. We get paid, our family gets, we cannot collect money from this country because we can't get taxed yet because we're not citizens yet, but we intend to be. We're en route. So the only money we can get is from American soil, which, by the way, doesn't remotely add up to the Great British Pound. Thank you, Great British Pound. It's a miracle. Every, every month that our bills are paid, it's a miracle. But I don't lose any sleep over it. I don't lose any hair. I don't have much to lose, but I don't lose any hair because... God's got it handled. If he wants us here, it's his job to take care of it. It's kind of nice to feel that way, you know? Healings. Did you notice it's plural, number 11? Did you notice that? Gift of healings. Not just the gift of healing. God may actually, and I don't, and I, to be honest, I don't even know what that means. Whether that means that Chris may have the gift of healing leprosy, I don't know. Or whether Chris may have the gift on Tuesdays, I really don't know. Or whether it may be that he has a gift with the geriatric, or with the prenatal ward, or what? I don't know. I do know this. I've watched God heal people, and it's undeniable. God still heals. And if you were to ask me, are the gifts for today? I'm like, no, which one of these do you want to shut off? If the real ministry is to bring people closer to Christ, could he still use any of these to bring people closer today? He sure does. The gift of miracles. And I think this is sort of the cleanup, right? In case something else really radical happens. Dunamis literally means the gift of great power. And we read, for instance, in Acts 19.11 that God worked unusual miracles by the hand of Paul versus usual miracles. Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? But it's like, you know, like, this is my normal weird day and this is my extraordinarily weird day. You know what? And actually, isn't that kind of what the life of a Christian is? It's like we are, if you think about it, our every day is an ordinary miracle filled with these little extraordinary miracles that pepper it. Well, think about that. That's something to chew on. The last few. 13. This is one of my favorites. Discerning of spirits. Now, diacrisis. There are some that say that the discerning of spirits is that you can walk in a room and decide whether or not a demon's in it. Sounds lovely. The issue is, do I find it in Scripture? And I'll be honest, I don't. I don't find any place where Peter walks in a room and goes, whoa, 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 guys, I think a demon's here. I mean, in fact, when Jesus walked into the synagogue, if you remember at the beginning of the book of, of the Gospel of, Ma- of Mark, he didn't have to figure it out. The guy just flipped out on the moment Jesus walked in. It's like, you know, wow, which guy's possessed? Play that guy, you know? It's pretty simple, you know? And it's like, you really don't have to guess. So what else could it be? And what's interesting, it says in Proverbs twenty twenty seven that the spirit of a man is the lamp to the Lord. David would say, after, being, after falling with Bathsheba and seeking to be restored in Psalm 51.10, Create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Hmm. And I start to think about it and I realize, scripturally, the spirit, first and foremost, is the attitude of a person's heart. Now, there is the Holy Spirit, which we recognize as an entity. And I'm not trying to split here. The reason I say that is, 
What if someone could discern a person's spirit, the attitude of a person's heart? Could, you, could that be used to bring people closer to Christ? And I'd say, absolutely. The question is, do I see that borne out in Scripture? And I do, in Acts chapter 8. Really interesting situation. Think about this. Peter comes, he's laying hands on people, and as they do, they start to exercise these spiritual gifts. What a radical thought that is. And there's this guy who had been a sorcerer, and this sorcerer was following him around, and he sees this, and he goes, whoa, that's awesome. Loose paraphrase. Check it on me. Check me on it. And then he says, so how much can I give you so I can have that gift too? By the way, from that, we get the term simony, which means that you should be doing something simply because the Lord's told you and you're charging people instead. That's why, by the way, just so you know, if you're going to get married, we're not going to charge you. If you need counseling, we're not going to charge you. We don't do that here. Because to be honest, Jesus' counsel that he's given me was free. Well, actually, that's not true. He paid for it. So um, just, just know that. So if the Lord's called you in any of those things, I'm more than happy to meet with you. I'm married, so you, that's not what I'm saying. Um, anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> Okay, so this guy comes in and he goes, so give me, how much do I have to pay so that this can happen? And Peter turns and he says, man, your money perish with you because I can see that you're filled with bitterness. Bitterness? So the guy's like, he sees it and he goes, how much can I pay so I could have the spiritual gift of laying hands on people and have them exercise? And he goes, well, you're probably bitter. Is that what you would think? And the only thing I could think is that Peter was given insight into the attitude of that guy's heart. And it's like the Lord gave him a spiritual gift of the discerning of spirits. Does that make sense? And he kind of looked and he went, the attitude in your heart is full of bitterness. You want this gift for something evil. And he goes, man, your money perished with you. And then at the point, someone's like, please, please, just don't let that happen. Which was cool because he was called the great power before that point. This guy. Okay, last few. I'm going to go 15, 16, 17, and end with 14 because that's our hot seat, isn't it? 15, the interpretation of tongues. How many people have you ever heard that actually say they possess this gift? Wouldn't this be, and let's be honest, I'd love to have this gift, wouldn't you? That would be, I mean, I'd like to think what that means is you're sitting in a room and actually the Holy Spirit says, hey, listen to what Deborah's saying and you understand her Italian perfectly. And then, you know, Hugo starts speaking, oh, I understand that, that's French, I understand that perfectly well. And then, you know, like Jeffrey starts speaking and you just understand what he's saying because Jeffrey just talks like this and it's hard to understand sometimes. And then Bruno starts to speak, and you're like, oh, that's Portuguese, but I understand it completely. And then, or, you know, you can argue over that, because his Portuguese is Portuguese Portuguese, and then there's Brazilian Portuguese, because that would be what Lucas speaks. Would you understand both? But there is a spiritual gift of understanding language. Now, look at, there are times where, now, who, by the way, does scripture, does, does scripture clearly spell out that you have a gift permanently from the beginning to the end? Or could it be that God just gives you gifts as they're necessary? I mean, I just want you to, I'm just trying to lay it out. Look according to scripture. Could it be that the Lord would say, hey, Chris, in this season, you're going to need these five tools. Quessie, in this season, you're going to need these three. Naomi, you're going to need these three right now. Could it be that? Is no wonder why Paul would say, seek spiritual gifts. It's like, okay, well, in other words, I want to go to the Lord and go, all right, Lord, what gifts do you have for me during this time? And I look at it and I think, that is one I ask for because I get put in a lot of countries and I'd love to know. Now, there are times where I'd like to think I'm just learning quick, but there are times where I'm, I get the information and go, whoa, you know, two guys were, I'm in Athens, I'm in Plaka, and two guys are, let's, let's take them around the corner, and I'm like, whoa, do you understand? I understand what you're saying. Praise the Lord. The gift of helps. 
Literally, the word means to relief, antilipsis. Antilipsis. Antilipsis is the idea of to provide relief or help. This is an individual now who serves in an areas of need. So it may be actually more physical. It may be the mowing of a lawn, kind of like that gift that we saw earlier. Is that you? You're just one that you're always looking for that need and you want to, you want to meet it. The gift of administrations, Kubernetes. Uh, Kubernetes is the idea of pilotage, a person, by the way, that helps steer or direct something. There are individuals that they just seem, and by the way, if I were a person that had the gift of administrations, I would certainly pray for the gifts of words of knowledge and words of wisdom, wouldn't you? Oh, Lord, let me understand this information quite well and know what to do with it, or if we're going to steer this thing. And then we'll go to the last of them, and that's the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues, by the way, for what it's worth, you'll see it listed three times in the book of Acts. It's listed in Acts chapter 2, verses 3, 5, and 11, Acts chapter 10, verse 46, and Acts 19, verse 6. Interesting, each one of those different set of people, different place. In the first situation, of course, that's Pentecost. People are speaking known languages. By the way, it's not the gift of tongue. That's important, and I want to clean that up. Some will say it's the angelic language so which we can communicate with God. The only problem with that is it's not the gift of tongue, it's the gift of tongues, which means languages. Glossos, it's the word that's still used in regards to different languages. Now, in that, it does say that tongues are man to God, not God to man. So when you're speaking in a tongue, you would be speaking to God, and that's exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2. There is a list of 20 or so different groups of people that say we all hear them speaking in our languages the wonderful things of God. They understood what was being said, and when they understood what was being said, they recognized that there was praise going on. That was the first time. The second time, by the way, <coughs> is, and is actually with the situation with Cornelius. The biggest difference between them, still in Israel, like the first one was in Jerusalem, but it's Gentiles. And it's really important why God would choose to do this when he did, because what's clear is, is that Peter has to stand up to the group in Jerusalem and say, clearly the Gentiles are saved just as much as we are, because the same gift we demonstrated, they demonstrate as well. Could you imagine if the Gentiles didn't speak in tongues, but only the Jewish people did? the Jewish people would think they were better Christians. By the way, to this day, there are groups of people that would say, if you don't speak in tongues, clearly, or in a tongue, or however you want to put that, that you're not as super Christian as they are, which is a very dangerous thing. In the second case, you could say, okay, well, clearly the Gentiles get saved just like the Jews do. And as a matter of fact, that's what he'll say. Peter will say, the same gift we saw demonstrated well, among us, we saw among them. So then why even have a third time? Well, the third time is actually, interestingly enough, Acts 19.6 is in Ephesus. And this is really important for the same reason we see things today. People will make pilgrimages to certain places because they think there's a special blessing associated with that place. Now, maybe the Lord really is doing something special there, but the idea of people getting tongues in Ephesus is really key because what that says is you don't have to go to Israel to get the gift of tongues. Does that make sense? Can people still speak in tongues? Clearly, even after all of that, People were speaking in tongues in places like Corinth. So don't tell me that the gift has ceased. I think that that's nonsense. Because what you have to do is you have to cut and paste. You know, it's interesting. When someone actually teaches from the pulpit that the gifts have ceased, but they're somehow exercising the spiritual gift of teaching to tell you that spiritual gifts don't exist. Does that sound a little weird to you? Because it does to me. And they'll say, well, no, no. These gifts, sign gifts don't exist, but these gifts, why? Why is there anything to Because we have the Bible today. And they'll say, well, there's this particular text that says, well, we know in part, but when perfection comes, we will know even as we are known. 
And they'll say, well, that's the Bible. Now that we've got the Bible, clearly we don't need things like tongues anymore. And I'd say, well, that's kind of crazy because that would mean that you know perfectly. So you know perfectly even as you're known. The day that I see Jesus face to face, it says, I will know because I will see him as, I, as he is. On that day, I won't need, by the way, I won't need to evangelize in heaven. You're probably aware of that. I won't need to prophesy in heaven. I won't even need to teach in heaven. I'll be on a permanent Shabbat, a permanent honeymoon with my Lord. Now hear me. For those of you who do speak in tongues, and by the way, can I just say I'm one of them. This is what the Bible says, and don't just believe me. 1 Corinthians 14. In Scripture, it says, if you're going to do it in a church service, no more than three, one at a time, with interpretation. It doesn't even say someone with the gift of interpretation. It just says with interpretation. And it says, if not, shut up. Because what Paul knew is that if everybody started doing it at once, they would compete. That's what he knew. And that's what the Corinthian church was doing, by the way. So please hear me on this. Any one of these things, now the thing about tongues that's different from all the others is tongues seems to be the one where it's kind of like you bless yourself. Think about it. Isn't that kind of a strange thing to whip out at church? It's, it would be like, it'd be like this. We all come here because what we really want to do is we want to build the house. So Jeffrey's got his saw. Chris has got his power drill. You know, we've got, you know, Cedro's got his nail gun. But Marcia comes, she sits down and what she's got is her whole like nail kit. We're not talking about like putting nails in boards. She's talking about doing a mani-pedi in front of us, right? And we're sitting there all talking about how to get the house done. And she's kind of, well, you know, she's kind of looking in the, in the you know, in the, the, the like mirrors and all that. And she's like, I think I'll put a smiley face on this one. And we kind of think, we go, well, that's really cool, Marcy. I think that's really cool. But is this the place for that? No, it's, there's nothing wrong with her doing her nails. It seems like just a strange place to do it. Does that make sense? Because this is a construction site to actually see us invest in each other. And so here's the thing, though. If a person speaks in a tongue, let's be honest. If Jenny stood up, we're in the middle of praise or whatever, and she stood up and she started speaking in, a, in, in some kind of language, and all of a sudden Jeffrey goes, oh my goodness, that's tree, tree language. Is that right, tree? Close? Tree? Tree? I'm sorry, it's tree. Tree, right? Okay, she starts speaking in perfect tree language. And Jeffrey goes, I can tell you what she says. And Jeffrey goes, let me tell you what she says. And, she st- and he starts to speak, wouldn't that bless every one of us? Because we would say, okay, clearly there's something cool happening here. But if Jeffrey were to stand up and say, what she says is, Oh, my children, how long have I waited to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks? And now here you are. Let's cuddle, says the Lord. I'd say, well, that's really cool, but that's prophecy. That's not him interpreting her because tongues is from man to God. Do you get that? That would be really a weird thing for her to say to God. My children. How long have I wanted to gather you? Like a, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Are you with me on that? Now, please understand, I'm only pulling out Scripture here. And I'm not trying to pull it out of context. I'm just trying to give you what Scripture says. And this is the reason. What the Bible, what God really wants a church service to be is a place where Jesus is so lifted up that any person could come in and go, weird, but it's awesome. And you know what? I'd get shirts that say that for each of us. It's weird, but it's awesome. Because following Jesus is exactly that. We are everyday miracles peppered with unusual miracles. Hey, look at Get alone and speak. Man, do it. If that's what it's going to be, do your nails at home. That's great. Come here to be available. And whatever it is. 
And I just guarantee you, if you fall in love with the God who's fallen in love with you, you'll find yourself doing what he's called you to. You won't have to take a test, an aptitude test, or whether you're naturally, oh, well, you know, she teaches, so she's probably got the gift of teaching. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean that. And besides, if she's teaching all day, then maybe the last thing she wants to do is teach after that. What's amazing is, and here's the danger, here's the last thing, and we'll close this up, okay? Please hear me. Jesus' model for church is so different because it's not about having a big fan base. Jesus had a real good way of killing his fans. Did you notice that? I mean, driving them away. He'd say, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. Now, he knew that wasn't going to be a popular message. And we read, many people walked away and no longer followed him. Now, if Jesus was there about having a big fan base, he would never have said that. Jesus would heal someone and tell them, don't go tell people. Now, exactly, does that sound weird to you? It's like a guy's got one leg. He says, now, when you're walking away and people ask, don't tell, you know, don't tell them, don't, don't. Like, they're going to go and go, you look different. What is it? And they're like, I, I don't know. It's, I really don't. I mean, really. But it says then in Mark, the reason was, because then it says Jesus then couldn't walk in and actually have one-on-ones with people. He had to go to deserted places, and the crowds found him anyways, and it kept him from being able to do this. And that's the point. Was Jesus was like, look, this isn't about being me a superstar. This is about me being a servant. And if that's Jesus and I want to be like him, how could I be different than that? Does that make sense? And the danger in all of this, beloved, is, is that the way Jesus showed church was that the church wasn't the thing. The people were the thing. If the church is the thing, then I'm like, okay, I need a, I have a need in children's ministry. I need to look, I'm going to look for somebody that looks apt. But as a pastor, if we invest in each other, then what happens is you just start seeing people who have gifts exercise, and then it's just like, well, why don't you exercise that gift more? And the difference is you don't want to find the best guy for the job. You want to find the best job for the guy. Does that make sense? Now, the problem is that takes a lot more effort. That means we've got to sit down and have tea. That means we get to walk and pray. But I'll be honest, I came here to do that. But it's not supposed to be just my thing. It's supposed to be our thing. It's what we all do. In the book of Acts, when the widows weren't getting fed, the Hellenist widows, the ones who didn't do things traditionally like the, the Hebrew widows did. They said, well, you know what? Who among you is filled with the Spirit, full of wisdom that you'd say that are the right guys? What happened is Peter, I mean, the crowd had gone to over 3,000 people right now, and they're looking at this, and they're, and they're going, okay, guys, so they're up to 5,000, and they're looking at this, and they're going, who do you know? As you guys have served and loved on and interfaced with each other and sought to invest in each other, and, you, you know, Joe would say, oh, Stephen. And Marcy would say, oh, yeah, Stephen. And Amina would say, oh, duh, Stephen. And Daniel would say, Stephen, hello. And that's what happens when a family becomes a family. And they go, oh, Philip. Philip, right? Philip. Oh, yeah, Philip, right, Philip. Bruno would say, ha, oh, here, here, Philip. And, and, and Naomi would say, Nicanor. And we'd go, who? Just kidding. He's one of the list. You know, he's not as famous as the others. Yeah. Prochorus. Oh, yeah, Prochorus. Yeah, duh. And what's interesting is when you're actually in that kind of situation and somebody gets come, we say, you know what? And this has happened. And I know people like Allie and Joe who have been in, the, in America uh, with us. They know this. Anytime we've called up a person and said, we believe this person's called into the ministry. We're going to lay hands on him. We're going to pour oil on the guy and call him pastor now. The entire church goes, Duh. Such an obvious choice because they'd already come from this and they were part of this. And that's what you want. You don't want to go, who's the new guy we just shipped in from who knows where? The best part's when you watch the family, love the family. Does that make sense? So look at as we go to prayer, instead of you spending all your time thinking about yourself and wondering what could I do or not do, and just looking to see if there's anything in your belt, 
And just surrender yourself to Jesus. That's all I can ask. Man, if I could just encourage you, exhort you to fall in love with the one who loves you. You're just the jersey. You'll find him doing, he'll do all the work. The cool part is, just come and be available. Like we said, come with stirrable hearts and willing spirits. And he does the rest. Have you accepted the gift of Jesus? That's where it starts. Have you gone from sinner to saint? 